0: The sportscaster and her son is brought to you by Foot First Podiatry. Painful bunions, then it's time to get your bunion fixed with Foot First Podiatry's exclusive Sclar Bunionectomy. No scars, no casts, no crutches, no kidding. For more information about the Sclar Bunionectomy, visit footfirst.com. And by ElectroFlex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. Hello everybody and welcome to the Sportscaster and Her Son, where sports bridges the gap between the generations. I'm your host Peggy Kaczynski, 12-time Emmy award-winning sportscaster at NBC Chicago for 17 years. I'm the baby boomer.
1: And, I, and I'm and i Jason Canander. I'm a freshman at UT Austin. I am on-air talent for TSTV Sports, side editor for Gojo Bruin, and I am Generation Z.
0: Now you know we don't always get along. We are mother and son, but we do both share a love of sports and that always brings us closer together. In this episode, the Cubs. Is the window still open or is there a rebuild in sight? Theo Epstein walks away. What's next? Who's next, Jason? And we will go off the mound with former Cub Ryan Dempster for his perspective on his former team as well as his late-night talk show career. All right, Jason, before we can even get to Theo Epstein uh Len Casper.
1: I love it. I love it so the much. The
0: latest in a long line of, of sports broadcasters who have who will have called games for both teams.
1: Absolutely. Love it.
0: Why do you like it so much?
1: Well First of all, it's more of like a moral victory for the White Sox, considering that they took the voice of the Chicago Cubs away and didn't even, nothing against Len Casper, but they aren't even putting him in the same role. They're putting him in what people, some people might view as as a lesser role going from TV to radio. Uh, And obviously Casper will end up doing TV, he's doing 25 games in 2021 and uh, will likely become their full-time play-by-play guy um, by 2022. But I love the move for the White Sox, first of all, because now you can argue that they have two of the top five voices in baseball in their organization with Jason Benetti and obviously Len Casper. Um, for the Cubs, it's, 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 it's to put it very blunt, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing when you when you have found yourself in a financial position, and obviously it wasn't all financial. Len Casper obviously made the decision consciously, but you have to think with with the way that things have went with the Cubs organization, especially in the past few months and the way that they have spent or lack thereof the last few years, it's just another it's just another episode in a long line of regression since winning the World Series in 2016.
0: Wow. I don't think it's embarrassing for them. I think it's just business and it happens, you know. Listen, there's a pandemic going on and, and you don't have butts in the ballpark that pays for a lot of the salaries and you can't have extra seats. So I, I just, I don't think it's, I think it was it opened up across town. They were smart. They approached him. Uh, they offered him some security. He's got a young family. So, yeah, I don't think it's embarrassing so much for the Cubs. I think that that's just, that's the world of baseball right now, that a lot of teams just don't have the money coming in, and they're going to have to cut.
1: right. Right, I mean, at the same time, though, you have to think in the history of sports and sports media, being the voice of the Chicago Cubs is one of the most sacred roles in all of baseball mm, media. Yeah. Jack Brickhouse, Harry Carey, Len Casper look to be the next in line of these legendary Cubs broadcasters, and to see him go across go across town before even spending 15 years with the team is incredible to me, and I love it for the White Sox so much, and I'm just, I'm I, I've said to you before, I'm going to listen to more Sox games on the radio than I ever have because Len Casper's voice is so recognizable and he's just, he's just, he's one of my favorites in the game. And I'm so glad that he's on our side now.
0: Okay. One of the big news items uh, with uh, Hot Stove Baseball is Chris Bryant. A lot of talk about the Nationals, a lot of talk that, you know, it was projected last year and it really upset. Chris Bryant, that everybody was talking about him moving on because he said that he had never expressed that kind of interest. But it seemed like a natural. And if you look at a team and you have to get some value in return, he's one of the most valuable items well, people, I hate to call players and people items, but he's one of the most valuable things they could actually get something in return for.
1: I wouldn't say that. You don't think so? Nope. Who
0: who has more value? Well,
1: for, well, first of all, Brian's a rental. He's got one more year left on his contract. He's coming off of far and away the worst year of his career. He did set the bar really high for himself with his MVP season. But when you look at every year since then, not only have his numbers went down, but the advanced metrics have went down. He's not hitting the ball as hard. Uh, He hasn't been getting as much luck with the batting average on balls in play. So Chris Bryant, I guess he is a valuable player because he is a name brand player. But when you look at him defensively, he's not a guy that you can plug and play across the field. He's third base or a subpar corner outfielder, which leads me to believe he'd fit better in the American League. Um, again, he has had strikeout problems. He is not the timely hitter that he was when the Cubs won the World Series. I think that the Cubs really screwed up by not maximizing his value and trading him last winter when they had a clear replacement in Nico Horner, David Bodie, and they held on to him and Bryant came back and had one of, well, easily the worst season of his career. So if you're looking at the Cubs roster right now, they're sort of in the same position that they were before the initial rebuild where they have a bunch of guys who have had great seasons with the team, without the team, but are just at a point in their careers, whether it be with their contracts or their production, or they are just not as valuable as they used to be. So I guess that's the way baseball goes. When you look at Bryant and Baez and Rizzo and look at their peak value, it would have made no sense for the Cubs to trade them at that time. So maybe it's bad luck. Maybe it's uh poor player development, career development. Um, but right now, when you look at the Cubs roster, Wilson Contreras and Javi Baez are the two guys that they could get the most for. But at the same That's time, true. those are the two guys that it would be the wisest for them to lock up and spend the money on because you don't get a power hitting catcher all at every day. And you don't get somebody that is so skillful with the glove and such a good timely hitter and power hitter at shortstop as Javi Baez. So the Cubs should lock those two guys up or maybe another full rebuilds in store, especially with the financial situation.
0: Not surprising that they did not tender contracts to Albert Almora Jr., but Kyle Schwarber, man, not to get anything in return, the year after they won the World Series would have been the highest value that they could have gotten something for Kyle Schwarber. And that's a shame when you don't get something Mm -hmm. in return.
1: The problem with Schwarber is he is such a one-dimensional player. And with the National League likely not having the designated hitter in twenty twenty one, Schwarber would have been stuck in left field. He is one of the worst defenders in baseball. No matter what Cubs fans say, Schwarber's not too bad of a defender. By every metric, he is a subpar defender. Um big strike. He he's one of the most copy and paste players in all of baseball. And I mean that in Strike out through true outcomes. Strike out, walk, home run. And you can get that anywhere. So Schwarzer's value is not high. That is why he has not signed yet. They would not have gotten anything in return. Him being non-tendered made a ton of sense to me. Elmore made a little less sense to me because he's a top 10 defender in all of baseball. Um, His hitting has regressed every single year since his rookie year, but... Elmora, they could have at least given a contract to and then gotten something for instead of having to sign a veteran outfielder in a one year deal. Because when you look at the Cubs' farm system, they do not have guys that are major league ready. They don't have any more blue chip prospects that they had back in 2013, 2014. So I'm just, I'm, things like this, things like these make me so thankful to be a White Sox fan. Um, Obviously, the Cubs do still have some veterans. They have these players that, have shown that they can put together all-star seasons. And if they do, the Cubs will still be a force to be reckoned with. But, um, with the way that the organization is going and the players are playing and the careers have regressed, I don't like it all. What I'm seeing on the North side,
0: Theo Epstein, not a surprise. He hinted that he would not overstay his welcome. He has left the Cubs, uh, Also hinted that he will not be in baseball this coming season, so that he will take time to uh, measure what his next step is going to be. So Jed Hoyer has quite the job ahead of him. Uh, Do you, A, think that Theo Epstein will be back in baseball? Does he go to the Bears? Does he go to the Blackhawks? Does he go to another sport? Mm -hmm. Um, Does uh, Jed Hoyer have what it takes to be a successful team president?
1: Well, with Epstein, Epstein is absolutely returning to baseball. He's taking this year off strategically, in my opinion, because there are a couple of openings that just make too much sense. People were talking about the Phillies. Well, they just hired Dave Dombrowski the other day, so that won't be happening. The San Diego Padres make a whole lot of sense. That is a team that has rebuilt for the past few years, have had one of the top five farm systems in baseball for the past five years, um, made the playoffs for the first time in over a decade last year, and have some of the best young players players in all of baseball, so Theo Epstein would make perfect sense in San Diego. Uh, New York could also make sense. Sandy Alderson could be on his way out, which would leave an opening for Theo Epstein with the Mets. Um, yeah, there are, Theo is going to go to a big market, um, whether it be on the East coast or West coast, I don't know, but I could just about guarantee that he will be back in baseball in 2022 and he will be in a same or similar role that he was in with the Boston Red Sox and Chicago Cubs, um, prior to him taking a break this upcoming year.
0: Hey, Jason, have you checked out Off the Mound on Marquee Sports Network yet?
1: So I did when you told me that we were going to have Ryan Dempster on the show, because obviously I am a White Sox fan, so I have not found myself on Marquee yet. But um, from what I saw, it seems like sort of like a sports spinoff on a late night talk show, which I absolutely love, and I wish that the White Sox were to have some sort of equivalent to that, (laughs) to be be completely honest.
0: The Cubs are lucky because they have Ryan Dempster, and... Who knew that he wanted to be the next Johnny Carson? But this is late night sports talk. You know, there was late night sports talk when I was growing up and it was on the radio and it was like uh, Les (laughs) Grobsting. So we're not talking that kind of late night sports talk here. We're talking more of a Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon sports guest kind of way. And guess what? Ryan Dempster is joining us now on the podcast. Hi, Ryan. How are you?
2: I'm great. I'm doing really, really well. Thanks so much for having me
0: on. Oh, my God. Let's start with. I had no idea that you were a Johnny Carson fan. I used to have every single one of his episodes on back on, you know, VHS when they would sell them in the, you know, the whole season. I grew up, I loved Johnny Carson.
2: Yeah, I, I was lucky. You know, I had um, I had parents who were, uh, who were a little bit lenient when it came to TV and comedy. So as long as it was something light and funny, I was allowed to watch it. And my dad would always, you know, kind of let me late night on the, you know, the Friday night or something and occasionally on a Thursday night, stay up on the couch and watch Johnny Carson with them. And I just, I just loved it. I just, he, he was funny and entertaining, but the guests that he had on there and just this camaraderie he had with Ed McMahon and, you know, just, just all of it. And I, I just couldn't wait. You know, we, we lived in a world back then where we didn't know what was coming next. We didn't need to know. We just waited in anticipation. That was half the fun. So you, I always stayed up waiting, hoping it was Burt Reynolds coming on. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, de- definitely a passion of mine. comedy and laughing is a passion of mine. And, and, uh, and glad I'm getting an opportunity to, to do some of this stuff.
0: Yeah. I love that you're mixing it up. Like, and I, I said, a Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel kind of way where you have comedy involved and there's, you know, sometimes little skit type of things, um, like that. H- tell me how you, really kind of went after the comedy angle, uh, after your baseball career, did I see that you start, you went to, uh, do improv and stuff like that? You actually trained.
2: Yeah. So, you know, kind of my, my career anyways, I was always that player. Like if you have teammates play with me back with, you know, coming up with the Marlins in my first few years, I, I was always enjoying that clubhouse camaraderie that, that fun that we would have and, you know, try to make people laugh and, and do those Prankster things and, you know, 162 games over 180-something days is a long season. So I tried to keep it fresh. And then that really took took effect even later on in my career, even more so, where I really took pride in trying to be a clubhouse leader and, and those kind of things. Well, when I got done playing and I retired, I started doing the the, the Cubs convention show, which was, a uh, you know, the, the mm-hmm. variety show, the live show. And I thought, man, this is a lot of fun. And I really had visions of kind of doing this before. So then, I enrolled at Improv Olympics. Um, I started doing some writing, started doing um, a little bit of work even at Second City, and just learning about that craft. And, and then also started doing stand-up comedy around Chicago. I did stand-up comedy in New Jersey, New York, um, and then hopefully we'll get back to that when we get on the other side of quarantine time, this pandemic time, and get back out there doing clubs again. But I I just love it, and uh, it's. You know, it's not easy. I know I got a long way to go, but I'm willing to put the work in
0: for it. That's what I got to tell you doing stand up, I did a little bit in college and that is really putting yourself out there. That is, <laughs> I am, I am impressed that you did this. I mean, that is scary. It's not always
2: been easy. I, I bombed so many times. I've had a really good <laughs> night, you know, um, it's funny. I, uh, you know, you can have these really great nights. Like I did this one place at, uh, in New Jersey, uh, Mickey's Bar and Grill, and uh, they have stand-up comedy night every every night, every night Tuesday night, I think it is. And So I decided a friend of mine who I work with at MLB Network, he's a uh, stand-up comedian as well, and he's like, you should come try it, and I killed it. And there was only eight people in there, and seven of them were other comedians. So it was just... – <laughs> I'm like, man, this could have been – this could have been good at like Gotham Comedy Club or the Laugh Factory or something like. Why does it have to be here? But it was, uh, you know, it was it was great to do, and you know, it's it's a learning process. You you know, you have if you haven't failed multiple times, then you're probably not doing an A enough or B, uh, you know, you know, not not trying new material. So hopefully, I'll get there. I, I really really enjoy the adrenaline rush. It's not being on the mound, but it's a close second. Mm-hmm.
1: Who's been your favorite guest so far?
2: Wow. Um... Favorite guest so far? I would probably say I really loved having Ken Griffey Jr. on.
1: Mm. Um,
2: I, I just thought it was great. You know, he's a pretty quiet and reserved guy. And, and to have him on, talking about his dad and his relationship with his dad and being in the big leagues and, you know, being a parent now. And, you know, his stories about racing cars all over the world was, was really, really fun to hear. And, and being a kid who grew up in the Pacific Northwest, you know, it was it was awesome to interview somebody that you kinda idolize. And then I literally became teammates with him and you know, I tried to take a dig at him one time. I was teammates with him in Cincinnati and I caught a, a home run ball in batting practice that that he hit um off the field at Kingdom. And so I was like, Hey Junior, I got a ball from you. You're so old. I, I caught one when I was a little kid and came to a game and you know, and he just looked over at me and he's like no, nah, I'm not old, dude. I was just in the big leagues at 18. What were you doing? And I was like, oh, God, man. You win. You win again.
0: Oh, my God. That's great.
1: Two-part question here. Give me your dream guest, baseball-wise, and then non-sports-wise.
2: Um, I think non-sports-wise. Wow. I was having a toss-up with somebody. I think it was a toss-up between uh, um, Will Ferrell oh. and... Uh, I would love to have him in George W. Bush.
1: Ooh. I love that.
2: Yeah. Uh, ex, ex owner of a baseball team. Obviously everybody knows him as the president, but um, you know, I had a chance to meet him before and he's, he's so much fun to talk to. And I just love to talk baseball with him and get his views on what baseball was like and what it's like now. And so maybe we'll, we'll get there at some, some point baseball wise. Whoa, Matt, Ricky Henderson.
0: Mm. Why is I just want to hear how
2: many times he refers to himself as Ricky while I talk. To him. <laughs> <laughs> you think he I'm would, gonna talk third person too. We're that, gonna have a third person conversation.
0: Exactly. That's what I was gonna say. You think that he would catch on to it and would appreciate the humor in that?
2: <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe at this point. When you you know, when he was I remember my best friend growing up was a huge Ricky Henderson fan, like ginormous Ricky Henderson fan. So I was a young guy, he was um coming off the field, we were playing against the Mets and I just I wanted to ask for an autograph. And so I just went over and I, and I said, hey, Ricky, can I ask you a question? And he says, what's up? And I said, uh, can you can you sign a ball for me, please? And he says, man, you know Ricky don't sign. <laughs> and, and I said, it's for a birthday present for my best friend. You can personalize it to Adam. Happy birthday. And he looks at me, kind of sits there for a second, shakes his head. He goes, fine, but Ricky ain't
0: signing no sweet spots. Oh my gosh!
2: And I just was like, I loved it. And he signed the ball. My best friend got this day, and it was just so great.
0: Oh, that's hysterical! Of all of your shows live, um, the 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 ones you did at the event centers or at the convention. What's been the funniest moment so far that you just loved?
2: Uh, wow. Uh, Sean Casey at the Vic Theater was he was next level. You know, it was funny because you know people. In Chicago baseball fans, they knew him from the Reds and MLB Network and these things. And when you're around Sean, he he is one of the greatest storytellers when it comes to baseball events and, and life events. And he's like that all the time. I go in his office at MLB Network and I'm just gonna drop off like, you know, a sandwich that I brought in that I passed in order. Next thing you know, we're in a thirty minute conversation where you know, I've almost peed myself because I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> and and he, so many people came up to me, and we, you know, we had Anthony Rizzo, and we had Curry Wood, and we had Ogden And they're like, Sean Casey needs to be a guest every time. They they laugh that much. He's just who? I mean, the guy. When back in 2004, when the Cincinnati Reds came in here, they were the we were the last week of the season. We were battling for a playoff spot. They beat us three of four. So basically eliminated us. We needed to sweep the Braves on the last day. He was so excited that he got the bus driver to pull over on Addison and go into Guthrie's Tavern and yell at all the Cub fans and say, Wait till next year, you losers. Oh my god And then all of a sudden he realized, Oh boy, there's no Reds fans in here. I'm in trouble (laughs) You know, and he jumps back on the bus, the bus driver's pulling away as the door's closing, you know, all these fans ran after him and that's Sean Casey. He's just such a hoot. So He was the same way at Innings Fest. I had him down there in Arizona when uh, we had him and Eddie Vedder on at the same time and he just He's just a hoot. So he is, he turns it up another level when you get in front of a crowd.
0: So you're you're pretty hands on in booking your guests. I, you know, like a lot of us, you know, when in the media, it's you know you have a producers, you have people who help you do your research. But it sounds like you are pretty hands on, and you know you have good insight onto who you think might be a good guest. Is that true?
2: Yeah. So far, for every show, I've booked them all. <laughs> so if anybody's looking for a talent booker I'm, oh, I'm serving part-time as a oh my as, gosh as a, as a. so I booked every guest yeah um, through personal relationships through friends that have connected me and uh and it's been great um they've been very responsive to be able to do it um we've had a lot of fun and uh you know it is it's, it's important Peggy like you're saying like you know sure the big names are great and people want to hear stories but sometimes there's people who that I played with or against or know that have incredible stories and there's so much fun and they're, and they're great interviews. And that to me is just as important um, as the name of the guest and having those people on is, is vital to the show's success because yeah, it's my idea and it's, and it's, we're working on it. But at the end of the day, the guests are who make the interview. And so that's what I'm, you know trying to hone those skills and it's been a lot of fun doing it
0: and, and you know you're gonna have some of those letterman moments when the guest isn't as good as you thought they would be or something's not going right in the interview and it's all that's where your improv comes in where it's how how do you handle it how is it going to go from here and sometimes those end up being the best shows
2: yeah absolutely you know like the you know i mentioned the burt reynolds at the beginning you know when he walks out that that episode of carson there's the tonight show and he's got the whipped cream and next thing you know they just start going back and forth at each other and they're pouring it down each other's shirts and then next thing you know johnny's taking the whipped cream he's <laughs> down his pants and i'm just like you know they didn't talk about that before that just happened Yep. and and I, i'm not saying i'm breaking whipped cream out on any of these guys when they come on the show or ladies when they come on the show but that, that you're exactly right that's what makes it fun the the um, authenticity and the kind of organicness of, a, of an interview where you just get going. Don't, don't prep anybody. I think I'd prep like maybe two people on questions I've asked. It's like, I don't know what I might ask you. Let's just find out and see where it takes us.
1: Let's flip the switch to some Cubs talk here. Last week, big news, Theo Epstein stepping down. Um, Give me some baseline thoughts on just the state of the Cubs organization right now because it seems like after the big window of opportunity, all the National League Championship appearances, the World Series in 2016, it seems like they're kind of in a flux for the first time in a long time. So what are your thoughts on the state of the Cubs, especially the front office?
2: I think it's really, really awesome for the Chicago Cubs and Cubs fans that we're at a point now where when they win the division, we're in a flux. It's really, really from from the days of curses and the lovable losers and, you know, never going to win and yada, 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 that the expectation has changed to this point of we have to win. And I think that is just so awesome. And I and I know that, you know, you're getting to this point now and you talk about that kind of that window of winning and what happens is you have all this control and talent Mm -hmm. that now becomes very expensive and you have to figure out how to navigate that. But I was joking with somebody I said, isn't it something like if you would have told us at the beginning of 2016 as Cub fans, I'm a Cub fan, you know, people in Chicago Cub fans all over the world that, Hey, listen, we got to sign up for this petition. And on this petition, it says, you'll win the world series this, this year, but, for the next few years, all you're going to do is go to the playoffs or win divisions or possibly go to the NLTS. You're not going to get another world Series for the next five years, maybe not the next 10. Every Cub fan in the world would, would line up outside to sign that petition. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'll sign it. And I just think that's so great that Theo and Jed and everybody involved and all the front office, the guys they've done their part to change the dynamic of what it's like. So for me, I'm still excited. I feel like they got a great manager. I feel like, yeah, there might be some pieces changed, but that doesn't mean that the other pieces that they get won't be um, able to go out there and win another division and compete to have a chance to maybe make a move at a deadline to, to go back to the you know the playoffs and contend for a World Series again. So people out there might see it as uh, our window is over. Uh, I don't see it that way. I see it as you always have a chance to win um, no matter who's on the field. And I, and I think payroll doesn't matter. We've seen that um, and no no more evidence in this past World Series. So um, I like where they're at, and, I, and I'm so happy for Jed that he has this opportunity to lead a ship finally.
1: You played for the Cubs in 2005, and I cannot help but ask, do you think that any of the pressure that is put on the Cubs, whether it be by the media or by the fans, do you think any of that is caused by the White Sox? Because you see the White Sox, were when the Cubs were winning all the, all, the, all the divisions and making it deep in the playoffs, the White Sox were so bad, and now on the other side of town, the other team's finally getting really good and young and doing exactly what the Cubs did back in 2016. Do you think that that adds any pressure? to like? Because obviously it adds pressure from a fan standpoint, but from a front office standpoint and from a player standpoint does it add any pressure especially speaking from experience 2005
2: yeah i think from a player standpoint it only adds pressure when the other team you're playing is really good and then you only feel the pressure if you're not prepared for it so from a player standpoint we actually love it when the white socks were good because those games were fun like when they were good and we were good you know even 2005 we weren't good in 2006 but 2007 2000 those were fun series and you're talking you know you know, with the Barrett incident, Pruszynski at home plate. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the, my worst moment as a closer in my, in my career, giving up that home run to A.J. Pruszynski at, at Wrigley Field. I wanted to just go out and fight somebody afterwards, preferably a White Sox fan. But, you know, it was, it was just so much fun. So I think as a front office, it's probably a little harder because you don't want to be playing second fiddle to the other team in town. Um, you want to make sure that you put the competitive field. But there's nothing better. I love that the White Sox are good now. Like there was nobody in the fan, in the no fans in stands, but I got to call, uh, you know, some White Sox Cubs game. That's fun. That that when both teams are good, both teams are near the top of the division. That's exciting. So um, I, I hope that that is the case, um, you know, for for the next few years. Because you're you're right. The, the White Sox are turning the corner, as the Cubs seem to be kind of flatlining. But you never know what can happen.
0: We'll get back to our interview with Ryan Dempster in just a moment. But first. Have you ever dealt with bunions? I have. It got to the point that I couldn't even wear any shoes without having shooting pain. Even at night, I couldn't even pull the covers over my foot. It hurt so bad. It didn't matter if I was wearing slippers or boots, gym shoes working out, or heels for a night out. The pain was intolerable. I finally decided to do something about it. That's when I heard about Foot First Podiatry and their exclusive procedure, the sclar bunionectomy. It has you on your feet the day after surgery. Are you kidding? Well, I had to see it to believe it. And you know what? They were right. Surgery was easy. I am so glad I did it. I walked out of surgery in a boot, no cast, no crutches, walking the same day. And you can be back in a gym shoe in two weeks. When I look at my foot now, there's no visual scar. And best of all, I am pain-free. So ladies and guys, don't walk around in pain like I did for years. Visit footfirst.com. And now back to our conversation with Ryan Dempster. You know, the Cubs didn't make a lot of moves uh, the last year. So I'm curious with... Whether or not you think Jed is going to take that big step, you know, listen, Theo leaves and he leaves the team intact that everybody loved, but is this going to be now Jed's going to be, you know, the fall guy when he, if he gets rid of one of the big names? Well, Jed never
2: picked up dinner anytime. So I'm wondering (laughs) if he's going to, if he's going to be unloading some salary, (laughs) No, I, I think that, you know, there's obviously got to be some creative strategy in order to sustain success and, you know, success for the future. You can't just keep paying everybody on your team $25 million a year. It doesn't work that way. I mean, eventually you might win like the Dodgers did, but look how long it took them. And they were paying, they were high payroll every year. You know, just going out and signing players doesn't guarantee anything. The Philadelphia Phillies signed Bryce Harper for $300 million. They might win a World Series at some point here, but doesn't mean you're just going to all of a sudden, you know, be the greatest team. And so you have to have some hard decisions. And I think Jet has some very hard decisions. And, you know, there's been lots of talk about possible roster turnover Mm -hmm. out there, but it's not that easy. Everybody's like, oh man, you should just trade this guy or trade that guy. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, like you hear the rumors about Chris Bryant, right? You know how hard that is to trade Chris Bryant. Business aside, like making a making the right decision for the future of the club and yada, 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 all that aside. This guy was drafted by you, won a rookie of the year, won a MVP, won a world series, multiple all-star games, has been a model citizen. That's, he's family. He feels like family. And he like he is family. Him and his wife, Jess, and their little baby. Like, So it's not as easy as going, well, hey man, thanks thanks for everything. No, this guy helped be a part of changing the dynamics. So every time you sit there and say, man, I, I'm, we got a deal, but I just, I don't know like because he's almost like a son to you and so I don't envy that position that they got to be in with a lot of those guys but at the same time we see the economics of the game they're changing they changed this past year they might change again next year so he might be cutting payroll he might be keeping it the same I don't know maneuvering around but he's proven throughout his career that he's capable of making any deal that makes his team better and I don't see that changing anytime soon.
0: And you're still close enough to guys on that roster. Is that something that the players actually talk about? Is that something that's kind of, you know, when no one's around and they're all sitting around? Do they talk about the possibility of, you know, guys leaving?
2: Yeah, I think this year they really talked about it just because as you get closer to that last year arbitration or guys getting to free agency, you start to see um, the possibilities of that happening. So I think they really did. and it it was evident throughout the year they played really hard for each other and then they just down the stretch it was it was hard to maintain and weren't able to beat you know the Marlins in a three-game series which you know I'm not a not a huge fan because anybody can win a a best of three at any point during the season even against the best pitchers so I I think they really did have those conversations Mm -hmm. because you know it's been it's been an incredible run for those guys you know for John Lester to not have the ability to have the swan song and give the tip of the cap to the fans throughout the season and say thank you to Chicago other, you know, the way he wanted to, you know, other than buying $47,000 worth of beer.
0: (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) I just want to say, I completely agree about not liking the three game series. I think both Chicago teams got absolutely ripped off of a deep playoff run. Now with that being said, how do you think that the pandemic is going to impact the Cubs' mode of operation this offseason? Do you think that, because we've seen in the previous years with the Cubs, because they, they spent so much money on these guys, and they need to save the money to lock up guys that are arbitration eligible and that are going to be due for an extension, do you think that the, that the pandemic's going to affect that even more and make them make their pockets even tighter, or do you think that we're going to see like a completely different way of going about business this offseason from the Cubs?
2: I I think that, you know, the whole landscape of Major League Baseball, I think you're going to see possible payroll cuts. Mm. You know, I think you're going to see players non-tendered that you didn't think would ever be non-tendered. I think that there's going to be free agents that are hoping to get, break the bank and they're not going to break the bank. You know, I think pretty much every team, and you see it with, if teams are laying off people making $60,000 a year league-wide. I, I don't see them going. Oh, but let's go give a player four hundred million. You know, there might be that case, but I just I don't see them saying, "Hey, let's give a player hundred million over five years." I I just see because of the impact of what's happened with with COVID and, and no fans in the stands and the prode- you know the projection of what do you do with no fans or limited fans again next year and yeah, I think it's a very very real thing and a possibility that um, a lot of teams and maybe put the Cubs in there. I don't know. But a lot of teams could possibly have impact as far as you know the type of payroll that they that they throw out there.
1: Obviously, the Cubs have a GM opening, so let's say that you get thrown into the fire and you're the new GM of the Chicago Cubs. What is your off-season blueprint?
2: <laughs> wow. Mm. Um, yeah, try to build off of you know last year. I, I, I think that that you know you really really focus on the positives of last year and say, all right, well, we're our areas of strength. Okay. Let's build off those things. Um, you obviously have to focus on what your weaknesses were. Um, and then it's, it, you know, you build your, you build your pyramid of, of roster construction and controllability. Um, l- l- you look around the league, like, and you even talk about the dog for sure. They went and got Mookie Betts and these guys, but Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, uh, Julio Urias, Corey Seager, uh, Co- Cody Bellinger, Will Smith, they're all they are all homegrown young guys that have come up through the system. Same with Tampa Bay, and you go down the list of all the players, and the Cubs did it when they won. So the answer isn't to just go buy all the players. The days of the Yankees doing that are over because the Yankees did that on an un, un- unlevel playing field. They could go out and spend all this money, and they, no other teams could do that. Now other teams, A, they can afford it a little bit more, but B, everything's kind of – it's harder to cut the differences. Everybody's in the analytical world. They all got the same numbers. Everybody understands everything the same almost. And so you have to hit with your trades. If you make a trade, you have to hit with those young players, but you have to be able to have control of players. You have to make offers to be able to try and sign players to team friendly deals. Although players don't want to do it, you know, it's up to the player. You ultimately can try and make that effort, right? Cont- control players so that you have an understanding of what next year looks like and the year after and the year after. So that you can keep these cycles of ups and downs, to more just like tiny little waves with, you know, big huge spikes where you can go out there and know that for three or four years you got a chance, really have a chance to win a World Series.
0: You know, there's been a lot of stories about Theo's, uh, how much he he loved to celebrate the big moments uh, in during his tenure here with the Cubs. Have you gone out and celebrated yet with him his um, announcement of leaving the team? And I can only imagine if that was a 4 a.m., 5 a.m. or a still going on party in Theo's world. Uh-
2: uh, it's in the works. I, ah. I was joking. I was joking with a friend. I said, "I don't know. what, Do we need to hire our Kardashian to put this together, or what do we need to do?" So, um, no. Theo definitely likes to uh, let loose. You know, I, I think that's a byproduct of of working so hard. I, I've watched this guy just for years. Both him and Jed work tirelessly. tirelessly Like they don't. They don't stop. It is twenty four seven. Whatever they can do to try and make team better, and so in return when you get these moments of satisfaction or relief, even if they're brief, he definitely likes to enjoy them, you know, and that was evident in the, in the playoff run in 2016 and afterwards and celebrating that. So we're definitely um, trying to figure out a way to, to do something to celebrate all the great work that he did here on the North side and, and change the culture and, and just hope that I, I make it to bed by the, by the next
0: night, you
2: know, I know know that that night's not going to happen, but the next night might happen.
0: Yeah. Right. Hey, you can check out Ryan Dempster on Twitter at Dempster 46 or on Instagram Dempster forty six forty six. check out off the mound on marquee sports network, new episodes every Friday. Who do you have coming up, Ryan?
2: Uh, CC Sebastian coming up on the list. So who, when you talked about great yes, he was one of my favorites. He, you know, playing against them is just so much fun. And, you know, he's, he's this big, bigger than life person. And when you look at him, but underneath all that, he's this giant, lovable teddy bear, a great teammate, great husband, great father, great man in the community. And so looking forward to sitting down with him.
0: Oh, sounds awesome. Check out Off the Mound on Marquee Sports Network, also on Instagram and Twitter. They also have the webpage offthemound.com. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. This has been a blast.
2: Hey, so great catching up with you guys. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Thanks, Ryan. Take care. You know, I'm not surprised Ryan Dempster is hosting a talk show. You could talk to him forever, and he has the right personality for it as well. That was really fun. Okay, Jason, we need some predictions from you.
1: Mm, three predictions. Okay. For my first prediction, everyone knows I'm a big college basketball guy. It's been a very exciting first couple of weeks. So I'm just going to say right now, by the start of 2021, Texas Longhorns, they will be a top five team in the country. I've loved everything that I've
0: seen. Homer um, call. Homer prediction.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, they, uh, their game against Baylor got canceled. I thought that they had everything that it could take to pull off an upset against the number two team in the country. Some top 10 teams have fallen, with Kentucky falling completely off the face of the earth. Duke doesn't look good at all to the point of where Coach K decided to cancel um, the rest of their non-conference schedule. So the door is wide open for the Longhorns to sneak in. We're a basketball school now um, with the way the football season has went. So I really am just totally riding the wave right now. Uh, For my second prediction, um, the NBA is starting up very soon. And I'm going to say that while it's been very quiet on the NBA front, even though we are about a week away from the season starting, there's this great Christmas late um I'm going to have sort of a uh double sided prediction I'm going to say that either two of the top 10 stars in basketball get injured early in the season because Ooh. of the short layoff okay right or two those two of the top 10 stars in basketball opt out for the first month. That was something Mm. that had been rumored by LeBron James, by Anthony Davis, by other superstars in the NBA. They thought the turnaround um, from from September to October um, all the way to December was too quick. So um, I think that while it's nice that the NBA is back so quick, I don't think that it is going to be a smooth transition to the 2021 season. And for my final prediction, college football playoff is upon us. It is coming up soon. I'm going to say that the four teams are uh, Clemson, Alabama, and then I'm going to predict that Notre Dame gets absolutely crushed in the ACC championship game. So they will fall out of the playoff that leaves Ohio State as the number three, and at number four, Texas A&M. So that's my four-team college football playoff. I'm a big fan of the insanity of whatever the craziest possible outcome is, and Notre Dame getting killed would make a lot of people, including myself, happy, and uh, I think that it would be very nice to see them not be a part of the playoff.
0: Okay, two months ago, I reached out to Jeannie Morris, author of Brian Piccolo's book, which in turn inspired the movie Brian's Song. Gail Sayers had died, and I wanted to talk to her about Sayers, the man, the football player, the one half of the NFL's first interracial roommates. Jeannie was in Chicago at the time. This was October, 2020. She told me she was in town for cancer treatment. I was sad to hear that and told her not to worry. She didn't have to do our silly podcast, but she insisted she would make time. So I heard she had a dinner party the night that we were taping our podcast. And in the middle of the dinner party, she threw up her hands and said, Oh my gosh, I forgot about Peggy's podcast. I have to go record it. And one of the people at the dinner party was a television producer, and he was laughing, saying, Jeannie, it's a podcast. It's not the news. It doesn't start at a certain time. You could just call her at any time. In any event, Jeannie called and we recorded the show about Gail Sayers. She took that time despite knowing she wasn't always feeling great. She was in the final months of her life. Jeannie and I were fairly new friends. When the Ring Lardner Awards honored her as the first woman recipient, she had found out I was instrumental in pushing for her to be the honoree. She wanted to meet me. She did her homework on me. We had dinner. It became a mutual admiration for each other and the paths that we took 30 years apart. She was smart. Very talented writer, determined, supported other women. A true women's liber from the 50s and 60s. It would be misleading to think that she was Mrs. Johnny Morris because she was so much more. She was a political activist working on the Kennedy campaigns in the 60s. She spoke out for women's rights. She traveled the world and she made history the first woman sportscaster to report live from the Super Bowl, the first woman sportscaster in Chicago's great sports history. Jeannie opened the door for dozens of women who have worked in Chicago's sports, and I am eternally grateful to have finally met her, befriended her, and to be able to thank her in her final days and tell her thank you for all she did for me and all the women who came after. Jeannie Morris died this week at the age of 85. Thank you, Jeannie, for doing it your way. Our thanks to Ryan Dempster and the Marquee Sports Network. Check out Off the Mound on the Marquee Sports Network. New episodes of Off the Mound every Friday at offthemound.com. Ryan Dempster is also on Twitter at Dempster46 and on Instagram, dempster 46 Four six.
1: Check us out the Sportscaster and her son podcast on the Barroom Network on Podbean. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Google, and wherever you listen, as well as the Barroom Network on YouTube or my mom's YouTube channel as well.
0: That'd be me. Don't forget you can find the podcast website at the Sportscaster and her We are also on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, too.
1: Thank you all for listening.
0: Do us a favor, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us five stars, please. Then, you know, you can actually stop your subscription, resubscribe again and rate us again. Sorry, I guess everyone kind of does that. So that's all I want for um, the new year and for Christmas. That would be a great gift for me. Well, maybe a little bit more. Anyways, thank you, everybody, for listening. Bye. Bye. The sportscaster and her son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, electrically connecting our world. And by FootFirst First Podiatry. It's time to get your bunion fixed with Foot First Podiatry's exclusive Sclar Bunionectomy. No visual scars, no casts, no crutches, no kidding. Visit footfirst.com.